The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you a little bit late this morning with traffic and things going on in LA. Uh, I just want to say very quickly that all of our thoughts and prayers and concerns and love and all the action we can muster are with the community of Thousand Oaks and surrounding area. There was a terrible shooting last night. This is in our backyard. Um, people that we know and friends that we know and students that we know all in that area and some of them um, in in that bar where there was a terrible shooting and as my wonderful wonderful sensitive husband sat with tears in his eyes this morning and said this has got to stop and we just want to send that thought up into the universe to whatever is up there to say show us how show us how to stop this when they were interviewing the sheriff this morning and saying you know, why is this happening? And he said, oh, if I knew, I would do something to make it stop. I think we all have to work together to make that happen. If somebody has ideas, they should be listened to. In any case, we are here with you this morning. We're gonna be live with you for almost the next two hours and we have a big, big show, because as you know, life goes on. And um, we've got a lot of great experts that you can ask a lot of great questions of. So we want to start by reminding you that the show is meant to be interactive. Gabe's going to show you some of the different ways that you can connect with us. Our homepage right now is autism-live.com. But our new website has launched. It is http, no s, colon, slash, slash, uh, excuse me, beta, beta.autism-live.com. We really want to encourage you to go try out the new site, try out the new chat feature there. If you look in the lower corner, it'll say ask a question. And if you click on that, it brings up the little box and you can uh, type in a question. We really need to try that out. So if somebody would be willing to be brave and to try that out, we want to see if we can get that working. And let us know if there are things that aren't working or how you think about it or, you know, click around, see some of the different things that are there to be seen. Uh, also at the top, in the top bar, is uh, a little icon that says Toy Guide because as of the first of the month, our 2018 Autism Live Toy and Gift Guide became available on that beta website. And we have toys and gifts in every single category and every single age. These are award winners, toys and gifts that we specifically looked at and said, we think this has value for someone in the autism community, whether they're a baby, a parent, an adult who's on the autism spectrum or anybody in between. It's divided by, um, 
by categories of age ranges, but then it also talks a little bit about why each toy was cho chosen. And then there is a link underneath the toy that if you click on it, it takes you directly to the website where you can order that toy or gift. And let me tell you, there are some really fabulous things there. We're gonna start to showcase them next week here on the show. But today, uh, we're still all about business. Want to remind you, though, um, that everything that we do is meant to be interactive. And I want to remind you that while we have many experts lined up on the show today, I'm not one of them. I'm an autism mom, a very proud autism mom, and thrilled to be here to help you. I have karma that I have to pay back, um, that I, I got lucky and got access to the best of services that there are and so grateful for that because my child is doing so well. So I want to help you. Take my hand. We hold hands together. Si se puede, right? We can do this together. If you're thinking that you should have been able to do it by yourself, I want to encourage you to put that hot rock down because you know what? I don't know anybody who can do it by themselves. It just isn't possible. So please, 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 um, tell us what you need and we'll do our level best. I am not a miracle worker, wish I was, but I'm not, but I'll do my level best because chances are that there's something out there that could be of use to you. Or, you know, sometimes there isn't, but we raise the level of the conversation and I have seen things change because someone asked for something and it wasn't there. So that's not a bad thing either. Okay, we're running low on time and I want to get to our experts, but you know, it's Thursday and on Thursday we always like to start off with something we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym, we try to figure out what in the hey nani nani are those experts talking about. So today, to rev up for our uh, talks about toys, our jargon term is functional pretend play. Okay, think about, we got to talk about how we play. Yeah, because once we break it down into categories, it's easier to do it. If you're watching this and you go, I don't really know how to connect with a person on the autism spectrum, or I don't really know how to connect with my child, or I don't know how to play with my child, or my brother-in-law comes over and he doesn't acknowledge my child, and I don't know what to tell him to do to play with my child, right? Any question in that neighborhood, this should be helpful to you. So. There's one version of play that's called functional pretend play. And we're going to do our actual definition first, then our working definition. So actual definition is using lifelike objects in a purely functional, socially conventional way to imitate or act out common action sequences. Woohoo! Doesn't that sound like fun? Okay, so what does that actually mean? Uh, well, let's take a look at what our... Uh, our I'm, I'm doing this old school right now. Uh, what our working definition for it is, is playing with toys that are lifelike in a lifelike way. Now, if you've ever been to a toy store, and I know the toy stores are few and far between, right? But usually a toy store has an entire aisle of functional pretend play toys. This is where you go to find the vacuum cleaner and all the vegetables. And I, my son had a backpack that was a Subway backpack and you opened it up and it had all the things to become a sandwich artist that you, but it was plastic, right? It was not real food, but he could sit there. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> On air, it's always good. Uh, sorry for the mic game. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I don't know what happened. Um, 
air conditioning kicked on pollen I don't know but anyway um, my son could make uh, sandwiches with his little subway thing and it had the little cup so he and if you stop and think about all the things that you can do with functional pretend play toys in the case of the subway sandwich artist thing you know sometimes we would have him make a sandwich and serve us so he would pretend that he was the person behind the counter which is actually socio-dramatic play um, sometimes we would just pretend to eat we would sit and say oh I'm gonna have my my sandwich and we would pretend this is really important because you'll see as we cover in the coming weeks what the different kinds of play are functional pretend play is a safe place for us to try things on social things in particular but pretty much everything right so if we're sitting there eating and we're using our manners and we're doing our napkin and we're being very silly but it's all learning it's all learning and if we're, we make it fun learning happens at a quicker rate so functional pretend play is a good term to know as you get ready to buy uh, any kind of a toy for any kind of a child any kind of a child right in the uh, upcoming holiday season. Uh, I know it's a little mystifying sometimes because, you know, I used to think, oh, I'm not getting a little girl a vacuum cleaner, right? But the truth is that if a child is mimicking what a real life thing is, if it's something that they're excited about, then it's gonna be a really good thing. For our kids on the autism spectrum, sometimes they're not at all excited about things in the real world, and you give them a pretend vacuum cleaner and it's not that exciting to them either. But then you have to take out the real vacuum cleaner and you do it together and you start getting silly about it because what we're really trying to get to is the mimicking. Because if you can practice something before you actually do it, you're going to be better at the thing that you're actually doing. Functional pretend play, it's really good. I'm gonna sneeze again. Uh, okay, we also always have a question of the day for you. Uh, and our question today, getting ready for Thanksgiving, we wanna know what are you thankful for? Um, it is so easy in this world of things you know, mass shootings and things like that to get caught up in how wrong things are. It really is. And don't get me wrong, there's lots to work on, but there's, you know, there's always the yin and the yang of things. So I think it's a really important thing this morning for all of us to say, what are we thankful for and who are we thankful for? And is there somebody that you need to say today, just in a loving, not even, you know, exciting, it's Thursday kind of way, um, say to them, you know, I love you and I care about you and I love to know that you're safe and I want to know where you are and, um, and I care about you and you're important in my life. It's important to be able to say those things. So what are you thankful for? I'll tell you, I am so thankful for my kid and I'm so thankful for my husband and I, and for my family and for all of you that are in this with me. I am so thankful, um, for all of you, but write and tell us what are you thankful for today? And then of course we always have a topic for Thursday, an overreaching topic. And as I said, you know, it's early. We're still two weeks away from Thanksgiving, but it's here in the United States, but it's never too early um, to be about thankful. So our, our word for the day, our topic for the day is thankfulness. And I'm grateful for all of the people that we're about to have on the show because it's an amazing lineup. We're starting with Chloe Snee, who's gonna be with us in just a few minutes. She is a, an autism expert. 
and she's going to be answering your questions. Then uh, we have the fabulous Bonnie Yates back with us this morning, a special education attorney, a wonderful expert, a wonderful mom and friend. Then we've got the fabulous Elaine Hall from the Miracle Project is going to be here with us talking about some of the amazing young people that she works with and the great work that they're getting in television and film, including a number of actors who are regulars now on Atypical that have come from the Miracle Project. And then we're going to close out the show with Wendy Dawson, who's come to us from Social Motion in Houston, Texas, talking about a social program uh, that has been very effective in Houston and it has also blossomed into being a work situation for many artisans that happen to be on the autism spectrum. They are actually featured in our toy guide, our toy and gift guide, because they, have, they made some earrings that just really caught our eye here and we thought, hey, wouldn't what autism parent wouldn't love to have a pair of these earrings, which are truly stylish and fantastic, but also happen to have been made by somebody who is on the autism spectrum. Let's keep those folks employed, right? So Wendy Dawson will be with us to talk about what it is exactly that they're doing in Houston and how that might be of interest to you. So all of that is coming up. Chloe Snee is first. Stay tuned. We're going to be back after these messages. Hey, I'm Candace Cameron Bray. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're watching Autism Live. high-functioning autism and I'd say I noticed somewhere between nine months and a year. Looking back now I can tell you everything. I mean there was no pointing, there was no shared experiences, speech was not coming, the interactive play was not coming, those things weren't happening. You know you go to the pediatrician they tell you well sometimes boys are slow or things might take a while to come along but it still wasn't happening and right when he hit the two-year-old room in preschool is when the wheels fell off the wagon. That's when we got some intervention. That's when we uh, figured out, you know, how are we gonna address this problem? The first thing I did was I got a mentor because there's no book on what to do with your autistic child. I mean, there's many books, but your, each path is individual. So I got a mentor, a really nice woman named Marlene. She has a daughter with Asperger's, and she told me, go to psychiatrist so you can have your child fully diagnosed and a rock solid diagnosis that can't really be attacked, call card and do whatever they tell you to do. <laughs> that was probably the thing she talked about the most. Get in touch with card and she actually put me in touch with Evelyn from card and calling card was like amazing because you really, I really felt like things were finally going to be okay. We were going to get the help we needed. We tried a, a number of different things before we could get into CARD, and you could really see the difference in the data keeping, really addressing what his issues were, whereas the other places we had been, it seemed pointless to me. We've talked about this, and I feel like we, we met a lot of really nice, well-intentioned people. Right. And then when we got to CARD, we met a lot of really nice people who could help us because they had the experience. It was ABA, which I think is the only way to go with your child if you're trying to overcome autism. And if you go to CARD, the people are so qualified and there's so much of a database on how to approach this. It's just like they come right in and we started off with, let's have Riley sit down for two seconds because he couldn't even get that. 
and we worked on baby steps until now he's in first grade and he's working at grade level. So it just starts with baby steps and it keeps working on because they have a way to approach every single problem, every single tantrum, every single thing you're going to come up with. They have a way to approach it and help you get through it. Yeah, I'm always Bradley amazed, like at our, our clinic, we'll be having a specific problem and, and how good they are. Um, all of them, the therapists and your team leader at coming up with a solution, something to try, and it almost always works. Whatever the particular behavior you're trying to deal with, uh, they're really good at them. They know the answers. He likes a lot of stuff, I think, regular seven-year-olds like. He likes to swim. He loves to um, swim. He's a fish. Likes to uh, ride a scooter, loves Toy Story, loves playing on the iPad. Card's been good about encouraging us to do things that maybe wouldn't occur to us, like him learning to ride a bike was really them saying, hey, it's time, let's do this, and helping us do that, and so he can ride a bike. He's still working on, on the brakes a little bit, but you know, he can pedal a bike, we can go to Balboa Park, and he'll, he'll ride happy as a clam along the bike path. If you think something's wrong, it's not about you. Don't bury your head in the sand. Go get help, because the help is out there to make your life and your child's life just so much better. And if you're lucky enough to get in with CARD, I can't even tell you what a difference it's made in our lives from four years ago. Just the quality of life we have, the quality of life Riley has, the progress he's made from being a child who wanted to stay in his room and play Toy Story and line up his Toy Story dolls all day to a first grader who's working at grade level. It couldn't have happened without card intervention, without ABA, and without all the wonderful people we have. Hard times lead to good choices. Many times you're going to find out that change is coming and it's not something that you like to see. Things sometimes just don't work. Sometimes you have to put your child in a new school. Sometimes you have to put them in a different classroom. Often you'll see this with perhaps special education versus regular education or everyone's favorite, puberty. All bets are off then. However, these things happen when they need to happen. So making that hard choice is super, super scary. But when you open those doors to look at things that maybe you've never dreamed you would have to look at, you're going to find help that you never expected. There are a lot of people out there dealing with the same things that you are dealing with, and there is a level of help that you never even knew existed. 
So don't be afraid when it's time to look at the scary problems that you're having. When those things come up, when the aggression increases, when things are falling apart at home, when you're getting the calls from the schools, don't be afraid. Reach out, find out what you need to do. You might need to look at new schools, new housing. You might need to access new levels of service. But I am telling you, you're going to see amazing things. There are children that, as they grow, do things with the help of others, very specialized support that you never thought they could do. So once you do that and you meet the child where he or she is and you give them what they need, everybody can do better and you're going to see amazing progress. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're very thrilled and fortunate that we have the amazing Chloe Snee on Skype with us, although we do not have picture, we only have sound, which the last time we had her on, it was the reverse. So I don't, I'm, I'm like cursed with Chloe. I don't know what my problem is. Uh, but Chloe, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I'm excited to be on again. We're thrilled that you're here. Chloe, tell people a little bit about what your uh, job role is and which offices of the Center for Autism and Related Disorders that you work with. Sure. So I am a board certified behavior analyst. I'm a BCBA here with CARD. Um, I've worked with CARD for many years. I started as a behavior technician. So I've, I've done all the roles you can um, as a clinician. Um, and uh, currently, I live in the Chicagoland area, so I am the regional manager here and oversee the clinical quality and growth of all of our clinics here today. I'm coming to you by audio um, from Hoffman Estates, Illinois, um, <laughs> but we have 10 amazing locations in the Chicagoland area providing top treatment to those families. Which is a wonderful thing. Thank you so much for the work that you do. So we call this Ask an Expert, and we have questions for you because you are an expert. The first one is, hi, my son is three and has autism and pica behaviors, especially with paper, cardboard, and laminated paper. He is nonverbal, so how do we teach him pecs? He really needs a form of communication and thanks. And we should uh, start maybe, Chloe, by explaining to people what pica behaviors are. Definitely. Um, so pica is a medical condition in which an individual um, will consume, um, swallow, attempt to digest, um, inedible objects. Um, this could, in this situation, include um, paper, cardboard, laminated paper. Those are not uncommon, um, but some people um, experience different types of cravings, um, and some can be extremely dangerous. Um, this could include chemicals. Um, this is an issue with, um, you know, things like bleach um, or other safety chemicals and cleaning chemicals, too. Um, so it's something that should be taken very seriously. Um, and, and being a medical condition, the first thing I would recommend is that the any sort of biological factors that are contributing to the pica be looked at and addressed, making sure that, you know, the individual isn't experiencing any extreme um, deficits or imbalances within their body that's causing this illicit reaction to want to consume these, these products. So that would definitely be the first thing and, and want to make sure that we're actively treating that aspect for his own safety um, and his his body working properly. Um, and of course, when you look at something like a picture exchange system, these are all the ultimate uh, ingredients to create a successful picture exchange system. Yeah. So that can be very problematic. Yeah. And, and I, I want to point, just because I love what you said, because 
Um, a lot of times parents, we don't think about our child is eating something and we would never think of that as being some sort of a deficiency. But for instance, we will see some kids eat dirt and that can be a chromium deficiency that they're actually craving the dirt because they need chromium in their diet. And there are all kinds of things that are like that. So I love what you said, Chloe, make sure that you get that checked, uh, cause there's a medical component to it. But as you said, for this, this little one that teaching pecs, all the things that she lists that he has a problem eating, paper and laminated paper, that's what pecs is made out of. So this makes it particularly difficult. So what do you suggest that be done? Well, in conjunction with working um, with your medical doctor, or your primary care physician or a specialist um, in regards to the, the pica symptoms, um, I would also recommend there's two aspects of it. One, we can come up with alternatives to a picture exchange system that will work in the immediacy, but long-term, your child can't avoid paper, cardboard, and maybe laminate might be a little easier to avoid, but paper and cardboard is, is something that's, that's not avoidable long-term. So being able to work on a desensitization to be able to tolerate being around those items and understanding the rules and contingencies of not putting those items, you know, in their mouth or, or um, swallowing any of those items. So that is something that I recommend working with a specialist, a behavior analyst would be, you know, ultimately very helpful in this um, to work on a systematic desensitization that could be monitored very closely. Yeah. The other thing to look at Go ahead. Um, is the type of communication system that um, would be most appropriate right away. Um, picture exchange systems are, are very easy to, you know, create on your own. You can print, you can come up with um, pictures, you just have to copy, print, and laminate, stick some Velcro on it, you're good to go. It's very um, low cost for many families. But if you're dealing with a safety concern, yeah. I recommend looking into some simple electronic systems uh, that could be able to use those same systems, being able to use individualized, specialized pictures um, for what he's most familiar with and most motivated for, but eliminating the paper aspect. Um, you can find these systems that are downloadable apps um, and you can also find these some systems on their own separate devices. Um, so being as your son is three, um, if he is getting any services um, related to school, they might be able to help assist with getting the right assessments done to see which product would be the most um, beneficial for him and respond the best to. Um, but those are some, some very easy, accessible, um, you can do anything from the size of an iPad to the size on a phone um, to start creating that exchange so that he starts to learn how to get his needs met with alternative communication. Um, so that's what I would recommend in the immediacy, but I think that desensitization um, and treatment of pica is going to be ultimately what also needs to be addressed, um, whether that be specifically still in regards to icon exchange and, and communication, but also just being able to safely be in the environment. Wonderful, thank you, Chloe. And, and again, as you said, making sure Pike is the kind of thing you really got to have an expert working with you on this. This is serious. Even when, you know, sometimes people tell us about a kiddo uh, eating hair or eating paper, and I think parents tend to poo-poo that and think it's not a big deal, but it can turn into a very big deal, life-threatening situation. So definitely consult experts. Okay, moving on to the next question. Hello, my six-year-old is on the autism spectrum, but is very successful without an aid in school. My problems are he has difficulty 
difficulty falling asleep even with a bedtime routine. He can be up for two hours after we put him to bed reading or playing with Legos. He even said, I forgot how to fall asleep the other day. Some nights he's really hyper and doesn't listen and it's difficult to put him to sleep. It can be very frustrating. He also struggles with transitions, for example, playtime to dinner or playtime to bedtime. It comes out as anger towards me, dad, and his baby sister. I know transitions are difficult for kids on the spectrum and we always give them a 10, five, and three minute warning. It's just not enough. Thanks for any advice you have for me. I love the show. So what would you say to her, Chloe? Well, I can definitely sympathize with the frustration that can be happening when you're trying to get through bedtime and you're tired and you know that your child needs sleep and you don't want to stay up all night. Um, so being able to make sure that they're getting the sleep that they need that's so critical for their brain development is so important, especially when you're dealing with um, you know, a child on the spectrum. Their brain needs that rest to be able to process um, and be able to use the things that they're learning um, day to day. Um, so it sounds like you have the start to a really good plan in having a bedtime routine. Um, what I would recommend is seeking out some assistance with some activities that can really help to reduce the more hyperactive behavior before bedtime and, and part of that routine. Um, if you do have access you know, to a behavior analyst or an occupational therapist, they might be really good um, individuals to help consult um, and help figure out what are the activities that your son best gravitates towards that's going to reduce that. Um, but one of the big things to look at is um, access to screen time. This can be a contributor that will increase um, that activity in the brain. Um, we all see the products and studies about the light um, from electronic devices and, and how that influences our brain and our melatonin production. Uh, so I highly recommend reducing screen time for at least two hours before bed. You might need to even cut that back further. Um, that includes the TV um, and things as well, which I know can be, be difficult for a family, especially um, if you have multiple children and and maybe that's not part of their routine to not have access, but that can definitely help. Um, the other thing to look at is um, the items that are available inside the bedroom once that transition into the room is, is done. Um, with having access to um, books and Legos and really fun activities that can really consume our attention. And I'm very guilty of, of getting really engaged in a puzzle and, and not realizing how much time has gone by. So um, you get really uh, engrossed into that activity and all of a sudden, you know, it could be 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning and he hasn't quite gone to bed yet. Um, so I recommend if it isn't feasible to remove those items from being in the room and that being the place that they're stored, um, to invest in some sort of a, a trunk that has a locking mechanism so that way those items can be in there locked and inaccessible to him so that his curiosity and his eagerness to start to play um, really comes up with some barriers um, so that way it's just not something that's available to him. Okay, great advice. I, I know we, we've started something here at CARD this week that a lot of us are taking uh, part in a, a challenge to feel better. And uh, it's supposed to be about a gut reset, but we were told that we have to clean up our sleep schedule. 
and that that means no screen time for a full hour before we go to bed as adults because of the research that's been done about this, but also all the things that you were talking about, how we have to put things away and focus on the things that are part of the ritual of going to bed. And it just strikes me, it's very interesting that a lot of us are adults are complaining how we're tired and we're not getting good sleep and we don't feel all that great. And it all goes back to the things that we should be doing for ourselves and for our kids around a clean sleep schedule. So thank you for reminding all of us of that. I want to move on to the last question. My son is eight and has ASD and ADHD. He has a watch that vibrates to remind him to use the restroom every two hours. He ignores it when he's playing with his friends, watching TV or shopping with me. Then he has accidents. Should I have a consequence for ignoring the watch? Should I reward him when he does respond? I don't like to give him any sweets and thank you. So what do you think, Chloe? Well, this is a great example of what you, when you are working on new skills, there's a difference between being able to um, respond to stimuli or environmental cues during non-preferred activities mm -hmm. versus preferred activities. Um, so it's much easier to um, say he's sitting in the classroom or in an environment that's very um, has low stimulation, um, possibly more bored, um, maybe not as engaged or in, in, enthralled in something, and to feel that vibration and it feels very strong and very apparent and he's moving and, and going through and doing that. Um, versus when you, again, working on that same idea of you are so engrossed with something that you just can't um, break that concentration and it's not as strong of a stimulation to feel that watch and to recognize that that's what it's alerting to you to do. I personally have an Apple Watch and it alerts me to stand up all the time. And sometimes I feel it and sometimes I don't. Um, just simply because I might be very engaged with something and yeah. my attention is so focused that I can't feel that sensation. Um, so something to do is to really try to uh, focus in on that preferred activity and building up that skill for him so that he can be more independent. So what I would recommend doing is first starting with establishing a highly motivated, motivating reinforcer. Now, this could be a treat. doesn't mean it needs to be a candy or a sweet. It could be um, a, another type of, of health food, something that he would be very um, excited to have access to, and also something that you can restrict any other time. So something that's just really specifically to him being successful with his toileting routine. Or it could be access to a specific toy or game. Again, that has to be something that you can restrict easily. He can't be able to have access to that outside of being successful in his toileting routine. Otherwise, it really starts to deplete its value. Um, and him being, you know, successful wouldn't really... Uh, diminish his ability to actually get access to it um, so it wouldn't be as highly motivating for him because um, what you're really looking for is something that can compete with the preferred activity so something he likes more than playing with his friends which is great that he's so engaged with that that he can't remember to do anything else that's so exciting but it has to be more competitive so that he's more motivated to stop what he's doing and actually follow through with his toileting routine so that he can gain access to that and then go back to his his place game so that's that's sort of step one the next step that i would look to is setting up a timer for yourself 
Um, if you have access to some sort of a, a Fitbit, an Apple Watch, um, some sort of device that you can have a scheduled timer for, and I would recommend setting it to go off just one minute before his so you're ready. Um, and what you're going to want to do is, is prompt him um, so that he can be successful, giving him an instruction, helping him transition away from that activity um, so that way he avoids the accident um, and he gets used to just that routine of I can stop what I'm doing, go to the bathroom and come back to what I'm doing um, and that's going to be okay and I'm going to get rewarded for that. Yeah. So as you're able to decrease the accidents that he's experiencing um, because of, of with that prompting and with that reinforcement, you should see the accidents slow down. Um, and as you're seeing the accidents decrease, you're going to want to look at, is he starting to initiate more? Is he starting to feel that vibration um, and he's motivated to respond to that vibration and, and start to transition towards the bathroom? Um, if you start to see those, then you know you're ready to start fading back maybe how frequently or what types of activities you need to provide that prompt during. Um, so that way he's doing more of the initiation. Um, and there might be some activities um, such as going out shopping where it's also a matter of access and knowing what's available. Um, so if you know about what time that's going to go off, you can kind of cruise towards the bathroom in the store. Um, so that way the response effort that he has to put in is really low. Um, you know, moving play towards the bathroom, um, not in the bathroom, but just towards the bathroom so that that response effort is low and he could do it really successfully. Um, and once he starts doing more of that initiation on his own, then you can move towards also then fading back the reinforcement. But I think what's most important is that there may be times where you run into challenges, accidents might spike up, and it's just so important to not feel discouraged and just know that we can take a few steps back, I can help them out a little bit more, and then slowly fade again, um, and that goal um, is still achievable, even if you have um, a few rough days or a few rough weeks um, where more assistance is needed. And so we don't focus on consequences then. We focus on rewarding the behavior that we want. Correct, Chloe? I would move first with a reinforcement strategy that, that's going to be really competing with what he already enjoys right. um, versus, you know, trying to go straight towards a punishment. Um, there still can be consequences that we look at in terms of making sure he cleans up after himself, that he he understands that, you know, that the, the wetness is uncomfortable, um, which can also be motivating factors to why he'd want to go to the bathroom and, and not have an accident. Um, but in terms of having, you know, a punishment procedure, I would really try to exhaust all reinforcement procedures first um, because we want to build his self-esteem. We want to build his skill acquisition, um, and that reinforcement is more likely to do that. You might not build that teaching aspect of it with just a punishment procedure alone. Well, we just so appreciate you. There it is from an autism expert. Thank you so much for being with us, Chloe. I'm sorry we couldn't get the picture because uh, that would have been lovely to have seen you today, but we'll we'll do this again. And so we've done it once with sound issues, once with it. the next time we're getting it right, I swear. But thank you for all that you did. What's that? I'm just going to have to fly out myself. All right. Well, the next time you're here, we should have you in the studio. We should definitely do that. Thank you so much for being with us, though, Chloe. We're grateful for you today. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back with the fabulous Bonnie Yates. So don't go anywhere. Do you provide care services to someone with autism? 
Recently, more and more children are being diagnosed with the condition and getting the support they need as awareness grows. But what happens to these children as they grow up? It's estimated that over half a million youth with autism will turn 18 in the next decade, and they'll be faced with a very difficult reality. As children with autism grow up, their services start to disappear or become very difficult to access. Things like medical care, mental health counseling, vocational training, and more. All services that are still desperately needed. The loss of support that youth with autism face as they grow up is so severe that it's referred to in the autism community as falling off a cliff. Adults with autism need the same level of support they had as children to avoid falling off the services cliff. Introducing Skills Living, the web-based software designed specifically to help transitioning youth and adults with autism so they can avoid the cliff and instead fly to success. With Skills Living, help your learner with autism develop the skills they need in all the critical areas of adult life, including self-control, planning, and problem solving, effective communication, performing life skill tasks for independent living, acquiring and maintaining employment or other meaningful activities, developing and maintaining social skills and relationships, accessing transportation and public services, and being safe. Skills Living includes a comprehensive assessment, a data collection mobile app, behavior intervention plan builder, and automatic progress reporting. It also provides a complete curriculum addressing 16 key areas spanning the entire range of functioning adulthood. Skills Living is easy to use and can be implemented by schools, parents, and autism service providers. Call or click today for your free demo and see how Skills Living can help your learner with autism avoid the cliff and instead reach their fullest potential. Skills Living. Wish. Learn. Become. Parent to parent, you might be asking yourself, why does my child stim? Well, first of all, let's talk about what stimming is. Stimming is a slang term for self-stimulatory behavior, which is kind of a mis misnomer anyway, because a lot of the times when our children engage in these kinds of behaviors, they're not to stimulate themselves. Sometimes they're to soothe themselves. So first of all, we want to get rid of the notion that it's to stimulate themselves. But they do do these behaviors because there's something about it that feels good. And that's the main thing that we need to know as parents. It's not some random behavior. There's something about it that's giving the child a paycheck. And once we get an idea of what that might be, we need to find a behavior that can take that behavior's place and start to reinforce that. We want to pick something that's more socially acceptable. So if, for instance, the child is doing a lot of hand flapping because they like seeing their blurred fingers, then we can find something else for them to focus on, maybe a toy that does blurred colors. So for a period of time, they'll focus on that. The main thing to remember, though, is that there is a reason for these behaviors. There's something about it that feels good to the child. And once we know that, we can begin to change it. There's a phrase that's being used in the autism community called stimming. What is autism? 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 Uh, <laughs> I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think about that one. <laughs> um, trying to uh, 
Just, uh... Jeez, let me think. <laughs> oh, man, that's a great one. Yes. Uh, autism, uh, Autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability, and it's really not. I look at it as, like, a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another. It's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given so much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. Fun. Joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. Welcome back to Autism Live. Joining us via Skype and phone combined, uh, we have Bonnie Yates, special education attorney, uh, joining us from Hirji and Chow, a law firm in uh, Culver City. Bonnie, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Shannon. So thrilled to have you here. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about Hirji and Chow? Well, Hirji and Chow is a be six attorney firm which we're pretty excited about i saw that you had a, an, a new attorney coming congratulations well, she actually worked with us before and then she moved to um south carolina and when we approached her and asked her if she'd consider coming back i think she'd had it was south carolina you know i mean california as hard as special ed is in california it's harder in other places so we, we are a Culver City-based firm. We do special education, higher education, which is, you know, college stuff, and disability discrimination. Um, and, you know, not surprisingly, most of the lawyers in the firm, most of the staff in the firm, you know, in general, are people that have someone in their family with a disability. Anyway, if you want to talk to us, you can reach us at 310-3910-330. And the website is lawyer4number4children.com. So an amazing, amazing law firm. And Bonnie is very much a part of that. So, Bonnie, you also give a disclaimer uh, when you're answering questions. Would you like to share that with us? Of course. So when we answer your questions, we're answering them mostly in accordance with California law, but also federal, since many parts of IDEA are, are federal. Um, but if you have a specific problem, whether you're in the state or out of the state, you really do need to, you know, consult with an attorney because, uh, you know, my, my, my answers are kind of of general applicability, and I want to make sure that you're getting good advice about your specific problem. Good point. And so when last we met, we believe that we left off with a question that was specifically about, uh, well, let's, let me read it. Is there a guideline that determines LRE? And you had said that there was a lot more to be shared on that. And I think this is a ginormous topic that a lot of parents don't understand. You know, for I know for me, for years I walked around and said the fight uh, is all about the word appropriate. Um, 
And then I learned that, oh, no, there's a nuance to that, that it's a, a lot of the fight is about LRE. So should we start with, do you want to explain to our viewers who are like, LRE? I don't even know what that stands for. Yeah, yeah, I will. Okay, least restrictive environment is commonly referred to as LRE. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And, you know, I had been dealing with LRE issues for a lot of years, and I'm not really proud of this, but... One day, I kind of reread everything, and I saw how in IDEA 2004, the presumption is always in favor of LRE, and what that means, and this was a part that I kind of didn't um, integrate well, is the presumption is the child is going to be educated in a general ed environment. That's the presumption. And if the child needs supports in order to be successful in that environment, that's still the presumption. I think I had been doing this kind of yes, but thing. Like, you know, yes, I know the, the presumption is for LRE. So if you can, you know, make it on your own metal in, you know, kindergarten or whatever, then you get LRE. But that's not what the law says. The law says that the, that the presumption is so strong in favor of the benefits of least restrictive environment, especially when a child is young, that they're entitled to have, you know, whatever supports, reasonable supports are necessary so they can make progress in that environment. So what you see in the law in a macro sense, and then we can talk about the particulars, is that when the child is young, it's assumed that there's so much benefit from being exposed to normal peers and normal language that the law will really support the parent when the parent insists on LRE in a general ed setting or whatever setting it is. As the child gets older, the social benefit is balanced a little differently because then the courts tend to look at whether you're actually learning because the idea is you want to be learning something. And so maybe when you get into fifth or sixth grade and you're falling too far behind, you're just not going to be able to be fully integrated 100% of the time in general ed. And then the question would turn to, so what would be an appropriate you know, ratio of general ed to special ed type of thing? Um, so with, with that said, I'm just going to, I sent this to, to Shannon, but, um, and, and maybe she sent it to you guys. I just pulled this right off of LRP, which is, you know, this is the, the database that the public school districts and school district attorneys use to get their uh, special education authority. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the key points are that the mandate demands that students be educated in regular classroom settings to the maximum extent appropriate. And your listener asked for a, a reference or um, a template or whatever. A guideline. And, and all of the all of the statutory citations are right in this little smart start that she can post. Um, the idea requires each public agency to ensure that to the maximum extent appropriate, which is kind of what all the balancing is, you know, children with disabilities, including children in public or private institutions or other care facilities are educated with children who are non-disabled. And 
special classes, special schooling, or other removal of children with disabilities from the regular education environment occurs only if the nature or severity of the disability is such that the education in regular classes with the use of supplementary aids and services cannot be achieved satisfactorily. So that's where you see that the, the, the presumption is you always look first to the possibility of full inclusion. And that's 34, 34 Code of Federal Regulations 300.114A. So that's the first piece of this. And sometimes you have stuff you want to say, Shannon. Do you want to comment or not yet? I do want to comment. And I want to say that I, I first want to say, Bonnie, that I think you need to cut yourself some slack because there is the law and the guidelines of the law. But I've known you for over 12 years, and I know that you're about making sure that the, what, what the child is given is appropriate. And I think that you've seen a lot of school situations. And even though the law says this, you and I both know that a lot of schools don't create an environment in which a child can be successful if you are following this guideline. Because we can, we can talk about the fact that all of us would want for our kids to be included and to be included in this educationally rich environment. And, but there are some teachers and there are some schools that don't know how to do it and aren't interested in learning. And so I think you need to cut yourself a little bit of slack because I know that in each individual case, you were looking at the individual child and saying, hey, what's, what is the appropriate placement for this child? But I do think that what's exciting here is for parents who walk in, I, I think parents have all drunk the Kool-Aid from school. School likes to act like, first of all, when we come into an IEP meeting, that, that they like to act like they've already figured it out for us and that they're going to tell us what they're going to do. And in fact, well, that, that's not right. Them, and that's their job. They're supposed to come in and make a specific written offer placement, but they're supposed to listen to you and meaningfully consider what you offer up at the table. And that's where the breakdown occurs because of the fear that the services that the parent wants are going to cost so much money. That's the ticket. And, and I understand that they're supposed to come in and make a recommendation, but sometimes they, they very cleverly make it look like this is all there is, all that can be. And my thing that I always said was, when did I get voted off the team? I'm yeah. on this. I'm on this IEP team, and if you made all the recommendations and I wasn't in, involved in all, and you didn't ask my opinion yet, then clearly we're not done. Um, so I, you know, and a lot of schools automatically there's a diagnosis, and they go, you know, take they pick out the rubber stamp, and they go, here's the program that we have for this. Here's the program that we have for autism. Here's the program that we have for this. And the family is led to believe that a favor has been done for them. Yeah. And, well, that's all cost-driven, unfortunately. Yeah. But and I think the thing that 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 I keep coming back to is the presumption is in favor of making things work by providing whatever services are appropriate so that it can work in a general ed setting. There you go. That, that's what the. That's powerful. Is. If the district were to take you to hearing to try to prove that their offer was appropriate, they would have to show that they had gone through the analysis and they, you know, they had tried to do things, you know. To and ruled that out. Exactly. It's
it's a rule out. That's exactly right. It's a rule out. It's and, a, and this is important information, Bonnie, because I don't think in general parents knew this piece of it. So thank you for, right. for sharing that with us. No, I mean, the important part is the presumption is in favor of the general ed setting. Yeah, which is exciting. We don't always feel that way when we go to meetings. Yeah. And if you can't be in general ed 100% of the time, let's do a real meaningful look at what classes we can include you for. Right. Because if you can be in 100% time, the presumption still is that you can be mainstreamed a significant amount of the time. Okay, so that's the mandate. Now, how does LRE interact with FAPE, right? Yeah. So it doesn't override the FAPE requirement. The placement still has to confer a meaningful benefit to the student. And that's where you get into the balancing question. You look at the social benefit and sort of the learning benefit to the child versus the disruptiveness uh, to the larger classroom, and you see how that balances out. If the, if the child isn't going to be able to make meaningful progress in the general ed setting, then even though socially and um, linguistically it's a good thing, uh, then the child may be placed in a more restrictive setting. So you've got, you've got those considerations going on. You first you look to see if the regular classroom is possible, and then you have to make sure that the, that the, that the child will um, receive a fate. So, is it, I'm going to close the window. I'm sorry. There's a loud truck noise on the street. I'm just going to close the window. We're actually not hearing it. So, no, nope. okay, I'm not picking it up at all. Um, and I don't think that Gabe is either. But we're getting a lovely picture of your anyway, wall. So here, sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, that way, you know I'm not a robot. Um, <laughs> As if we were concerned about that. Okay. Right. So here are the the balancing factors. One, whether the district has made reasonable efforts to accommodate the child in a regular classroom. So they're going to have to have evidence that they tried. The educational benefits available to the child in a regular class with appropriate supplementary aids and services as compared to the benefits provided in a special day class. Well, I'm going to say something really crummy and cynical here, which is in Bonnie's world, the presumption is that special day classes are bad and not valuable unless you convince me otherwise. Whereas here, it's kind of being presumed that the special ed class has things to offer that the general ed class doesn't have. And then, quote, educational benefits are considered to be both academic in nature and encompass social opportunities, uh, which can include the the development of social and communication skills, an increased sense of self-esteem, language development, and role modeling versus uh, what you would get in a special day class. And then you also look at the possible negative effects, including those the child would have on other students in the class. And that's your that's your uh, your balancing factors. And then we can you know talk about. Um, how a few individual cases were interpreted and um, and other factors that might um, militate against putting a child in a regular classroom. We've got about so, three minutes, Bonnie. So what do you think okay, is the most let's, productive? 
let's skip the cases and we'll just talk about the factors that could be used against parents okay. in terms of LRE. Uh, the child or the student engages in dangerous contact requiring intensive counseling and supports. Um, the child will not receive a significant educational benefit in a general ed classroom, even with the complementary aids and services. The child requires so much of the teacher's time and attention that his presence substantially interferes with the learning of others threatens the safety of other students or poses a danger to himself. So you can see if you've got a kid that's got severe self-injurious behavior, that's going to you know, have to be well managed by a functional behavior assess, uh, assessment and plan or else that's not going to work. Um, engages in significantly disruptive behavior that interferes with the education of classmates will require so much modification in the curriculum that the regular program has to be altered beyond recognition. So those are factors against. In terms of um, factors in favor, um, there, there has to be the child showing benefit from being exposed to, to typical peers. That's, you know, a big factor. Um, and you have to you have to look at whether you know whether the child with the supports and everything is really able to participate and get something out of it that's basically and not be too disruptive that's kind of the shorthand for the whole thing but here's some impermissible factors you cannot base removal from the general ed environment on things like people's schedules or um you know, unavailability of staff to cover the class. Um, you can't say, well, we don't have enough teachers that are trained in autism. Uh, so, you you know, you, you can't be in the general ed classroom because the teacher doesn't have adequate training. So if your child is young and you, if your child is moderate or high functioning, I would say that you're going to be good for the first few years of elementary school. Now when it gets tough is in around third grade when the peers get more sophisticated and the work gets harder. So the, the, the chore for parents or the task for parents is to try to do everything they can to have their child be fully included beginning in kindergarten, push really hard with the ABA and try to close the gap um, as the child ages. I think that's a recipe for success. I mean, that's, that's where you got to start. And some people hold their kids out a year, and I think that that might be not a bad way to go. Yeah. You know, I mean, whatever you can really do ready. to of academics and social is going to help. So, you know, and I think parents, too, you got to have, a, a, like, a tough skin, which none of us does, and it hurts really badly when, when people discriminate against our children. You know, and I, I remember, like, every year the teachers would say, like, oh, I've got Nick Yates in my class. I would hear this from a teacher I was friends with. And everybody doubted his ability to do it. And every mm. year he showed them that he could do it. So, and I'm so grateful that he had that education because I feel like it really did help him build his social skills. And that's really important as an adult. I mean, it's important at all phases, but like seeing where he is today, 
I feel like that probably helped a lot. And he's and, amazing. Yeah, he's he's um he's doing a lot. He's Definitely certainly. doing a lot. Anyway, so that's LRE. Very uh, cool. All right, so next week, I've got questions for you. Next week, why don't we pick it up with new questions? And okay. we will definitely, I think we posted this before, but we'll post it again, um, this document that Bonnie is reading from the Smart Start uh, Impact of LRE and Placement Determinations. And yeah. we'll, we'll get that posted on Facebook today. But Bonnie, oh. thank you so much for being with us. Again, we want to remind people, here, G and Chow, they can go to lawyer for the number four children dot com and tell us the phone number again it's uh three ten three nine one zero three three zero um love to hear from you guys thank you so much bonnie for being with hey. us okay take care. take care have a good bye. weekend bye-bye bye. all right we're we're only a couple of minutes behind now but we're going to take a break and then we're going to be back with the amazing elaine hall we call her coach e she is from the miracle project and going to talk with us about some of the amazing things that they have going on stick with us Um, being part of this community is really important to a mom um, with a son like Jackson because it really does take a village and you need so much support, you know, to um, to help bring out all of the amazing qualities and um, skills and talents that our children have. So I'm, I'm just very grateful to everybody who was a part of this. with all sorts of that uh, self-esteem, social skills. They seem to communicate a little bit with each other and they had a lot of friends. Um, the helpers were phenomenal. And I think the social skills for sure, because they, you know, they worked together and they did a couple of group things across the floor and they sang songs together. And I, I yeah, for sure, I think it's a really huge deal. A great program. programs like this show is the person is in front of what we call today a disorder. I think what we're finding is that uh, these sorts of brain challenges that make people unique can actually be gifts in, in ways we haven't discovered in the rest of society to, to bring them out. So when you see a program like this and you see the kids dancing, having fun and making up jokes, making up the story, I was here when they did that. That was so amazing to watch because they were all focused, they were all present, they were all laughing, they were all getting into the creation of this story. And um, that to me sort of broke the barrier to say, now well, first we're dealing with people and, and then we're dealing with the challenges. Hey, 
I'm Candace Cameron Bray. Tom Bergeron. You're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. And you're watching Autism Live. You're watching Autism Live. Parent-to-parent -to -parent token economies are a great way to get to good behavior with your child. So first of all, let's talk about what is a token economy. It's just a visual representation of reinforcement or a reward that's going to come later on for behavior that you've done now. So I've got a couple examples here of uh, token economies that I want to show you. But one of the most important things to remember with a token economy is that it's essential that whatever the child is working for be meaningful to them. So here, this is a two-part token economy. I've got a list of things for the child to pick from, to pick what they want to work for. So the child would pick off the one they want, put it on their other token economy, and you can see it says, I'm working for a play date. What a great thing to work for. And as this child progresses through their day at school, every time they do a task and they do a good job, they're going to get a token to put on this token economy. And we've got a rule in place for them that says maybe you have to get three tokens in order to get that reward, which today is a play date. And as the child gets better, we're going to make it harder and harder. Maybe next week it's going to be four tokens to get the play date. This is another token economy here. This is a task completion token economy, so every time the child completes a task that there's a picture of, they can peel off a token and put it on to demonstrate that they have completed that task. Again, it's essential that they get a really wonderful, meaningful reward for having gotten these tokens. Using a token economy can be much simpler than this, too, because you can download them to put a free app on any one of your devices. Right here on my phone, I've got a free app, Easy Kid Tokens. And when my child does a task and completes it, and I, he can specify what the stickers are. In this case, it is a ladybug. And when he gets three of them, then he's going to get his reward. This is a really simple way to take something with you when you're going on an outing and make sure that your child is staying on task and getting rewarded for the things that they do. It leads to good behavior. One of the most frightening things there is is when your child wanders away or elopes. Hi, I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're at the ABCs and XYZs of Special Needs Conference. And this year, for the first time, they've got something really remarkable. It's the Entrepreneurial Boutique. These are all items that have been made and are being sold by individuals who have special needs. So we're going to do a little shopping and talk to some of these fabulous entrepreneurs. Come on. My name is Molly Rarick and I'm founder of Breed's Gift. We're a nonprofit that serves teens and adults with special needs like Chase here. Uh, we were founded in 2013 and serve people in the Conejo Valley, Santa Barbara, and LA. Our main objective is to give our participants the skills they need to gain a more independent life. My name is Shelly Cox and um, Lisa Zalagi and I are founders of Creative Steps and Create Micro Business Enterprises. And the, the items that we're selling here today are all made by the clients who have 
uh, passions about what they want to make, and then they get the profits from what they make after we've paid all of the other expenses. We are here today because um, I my goal is to be independent, and also I would like to share all my artwork, and I would like to sell. Thinking about at his young age being a businessman, you know, it's it's amazing. I cannot be more proud. You say howdy, we say hi. Let's get wild, let's get wild, let's get, let's get, 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 let's get wild. Hi, you're back at Autism Live. I'm Lisa Ackerman and you're at the Allergy Friendly Cooking Show. And we have kind of an interesting surprise. I've brought my sister, that's surprise number one. Yeah, yeah. the fact that I came is surprise number two. I know, two. right? Hi, Jamie, hi. <laughs> and we're doing one of my favorite recipes, an ode to Sue, Otaka Super Mom. She created a kid-friendly sushi recipe for her son, Zach. So hi, Zach. Thanks for allowing us to borrow your lunch recipe because it's really awesome. So we can't wait to show it to you. First, what I'm gonna do, we're gonna cut up some of these things so we can get ready. I'm gonna take an organic cucumber and just make some slices of this that we're gonna use in a little bit to add um, some extra textures to the seaweed roll that we're going to do. And I'm just making long slices so we can place this in our sushi later on. And then I got, of course, a nitrate-free, gluten-free, fantastic sausage. Love this. So this is a barbecue chicken that we had last night. It was pretty awesome. Make sure that I have a little bit of everything here for the sushi roll. So now let's make the sauce. Use my gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free soy sauce. And, um, of course, my most favorite thing in the world is crushed ginger. I love this stuff. No, you can actually do this ginger is just such a blessing for digestion. So I just made this quick sauce, super easy. So here's my cooked rice. This rice is very, very sticky. I used this really great little water and um, apple cider vinegar combination just to keep my hands. That's what the sushi chefs do is a little trick, which is like pretty used for apple cider. Vinegar. I know, and I so love that stuff. So good for you. So all I'm doing is just keeping my fingers a little bit damp so the rice doesn't stick to my fingers. And we're just pushing this all through. If your kids don't like green, not a problem. You just flip it over. So that way we can hide the green stuff from our kids and it will be rice out as part of the recipe. So. Let's have a little fun. We're going to do my favorite, avocado. And if you're sending this uh, to lunch with your kids, um, you may want to put a little extra of the lemon on there because it, it will get brown. And I even have sensory issues for the brown stuff. So there we go. There's our avocado. So the next thing I'm going to do is do a couple of the oh, cucumbers. I know, it's so easy and it's so cute and we're going to eat healthy. Yeah. Yes. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're very excited. We are having some issues with Skype today. I must say we love Skype, but we are having some issues with it. So we're back now with Coach E, Elaine Hall from the Miracle Project on the phone. And Elaine, thank you so much for your patience and working through with us. Thrilled to have you on the phone. I am so excited to be here. 
greatest <laughs> asset, and it kind of shows how we all need each other. You know what I mean? And we do. <laughs> but honestly, Skype has been cantankerous today, so you know we do what we can. But um, we should uh, talk to folks uh, quickly because we've taken so much time to do that about the Miracle Project and all the amazing things that you have had going on. For, for people who have not met Coach E before, the Miracle Project is an amazing organization that's been around for a while. People probably heard of you the first time with uh, Autism the Musical, that which was done on HBO. That was the Miracle Project. And you guys have been hard at work for many years cultivating really amazing works of art, uh, several original shows that you guys have done, one that just got a lot of great press. I know I loved it. I can never remember the title of it. I know it's the, an address with Wilshire, but what was the name of it, Elaine? So the, the play was titled 185 Wilshire, A Love Story. And that was an original musical created for... Uh, by and with our um, teens and young adults with autism and their uh, neurodiverse, uh, neurotypical peers. So we, we um, and we, uh, we opened at the Wallace Annenberg Center for the Performing Arts last June. It was lovely. reviews and standing ovations and uh, it's really about a love story, about how our friends uh, that are neurodiverse in their ways of being really want what everybody wants, to be seen, to be loved, to be heard, and to have a, have a, a meaningful relationship. Uh, you know, talk about a tour de force. We, I was in the audience with my son. We laughed. We cried. It was amazing. And one of the young men who uh, we would say was the lead actor in it, Dominique Brown, he also is one of the actors that you've been working with for a long time. He's a, a writer, a singer, a performer. Um, and he's one of the, the, the new cast members of Atypical that is a regular. Talk to us a little bit about this new core of actors that you have on Atypical. So Shannon, it's incredibly exciting. We now have actors, five of our actors with autism that have been through the Miracle Project program are the peer group in season two of Atypical. And it's incredibly exciting in that uh, the producers, writers, directors of Atypical wanted actors with autism to portray actors with autism. And that's exactly what happened. They called me. They wanted to know if we had some actors to audition for these roles. Our actors uh, auditioned. There were hundreds of other people who auditioned for these roles. And they are the peer group that is on season two. It starts with episode three of season two of Atypical. And uh, so you'll, you'll see Dominique Brown. You'll see Spencer Hart. Uh, there's... Uh, David Isaacman was on for an episode. I mean, it's just been quite extraordinary. Amazing. And that's available on Netflix now. That entire second season is available. And we and did I hear that they were picked up for season three? They were picked up for season three. Yeah. It's so exciting. I know. I'm I'm just thrilled. They, they you know, Robbie, the, the uh, creator of the show, she really walks her talk. Yeah. And she wanted to 
uh, make a difference, to make a, a real uh, a show that has impact. She hires women writers. Uh, it's, it's a neurodiverse and diverse uh, crew as well as cast. And she um, is quite extraordinary. And Kier, who plays Sam, is probably one of the finest young actors I've, I've ever met. I mean, he is so kind and so uh, supportive of the other actors and generous and gracious. I mean, everybody, everybody, from, from the production assistant to the producers of the show were just top-notch, phenomenal to work with, incredible set, and uh, an all-around positive experience for everyone. Well, and I, I just think that things have come to fruition in so many different ways that what's lovely is that the entertainment world has started to acknowledge that, hey, wouldn't it be great and shouldn't we give opportunities for people who are on the autism spectrum to audition for these roles? But, you know, the truth is, uh, Elaine, that if if all that came to audition were actors who had never had an opportunity to practice their craft before, I don't know that it would have worked out the way that it did, but we're seeing more and more actors who are getting these roles who have had the ability to have some training, who have had the ability to, to work and grow as artists. And a lot of them have worked in your incubator in the Miracle Project doing performances. They, you know, there are so many performance opportunities that the Miracle Project affords them, but it isn't just that. We've seen how collaborative you are with these young artists that they get to um, be a part of the creation progress process, which is really kind of miraculous. Kobe Bird has come out of the Miracle Project, who we've had on the show many times, uh, that he was on The Good Doctor. You've, you've had actors playing in a bunch of different things, and I know you've got more things. What, do you, what can you tell us about without having to kill us? What's the secret? You, you summed all that up just so beautifully. I mean, yes, it's wonderful that the uh, media is uh, opening up to individuals with disabilities and, and all abilities. And we're really uh, defying all those myths. I mean, I remember pr producers would say to me, well, what if someone has a meltdown on set? Well, I've, I've worked on many, many sets. I've been in the uh, you know, film and TV business for many, many years, uh, my, my prior life, before working with um, individuals with autism, and I was a TV and film acting coach, and I've seen many professional actors have many more meltdowns on the set than our friends with autism. No kidding. And, uh, when, when, and, and what you said was so right on. It's not just, okay, let's just pick up the phone and hire someone with autism. No. The actors that they are hiring have been through the Miracle Project, and they are trained actors. Yeah. Many of these young actors were actually not able to be in a traditional acting class because the, co the acting coaches didn't understand them and their way of processing and their way of being. So by starting out some in our most beginning classes in the Miracle Project and then you know graduating to now being in our most advanced classes, they have honed their craft. And like you said, they know what goes on behind the camera as well as in front of the camera. Not only can they hit their mark, they know what, exactly what's expected of them. They know their lines. They're 100% pr 
prepared. Um, being in on a set is their happy place, so they don't mind waiting, you know, long hours, and they're completely focused. They're really the best, the best professional actors you can hire. Uh, so, um, it's you know, where our time is dwindling, what else uh, have you got actors working on right now? I, you probably have a okay. new show you're working yeah. on, right? So some really exciting things. We have our new season and our Miracle Project company class. We're writing an original musical about identity. Mm -hmm. Who are we? What are we about? And that will be performed in May. We've also started a professional training program where we are training individuals who want to be in the business. And so we've started that under our triple threat class. And uh, we are vendored as social skills, which means that the state of California has supported us as evidence-based. So we are have a whole social skills program from five-year-olds up to right now 32-year-olds. Wow. Yeah, I've been so proud of that program. Uh, led uh, fearlessly by, by Ryan Berman with uh, amazing. two of our other wonderful, amazing uh, actors. We, I mean, yeah, acting, acting specialists and drama therapists. So we're, we're really um, branching out. And I just got back from Argentina, which I'm incredibly cool. excited. We did a full day training in the Miracle Project in Argentina. And I'm going to be expanding, replicating the Miracle Project now uh, globally. And... As I mentioned, I, every time I say this on your on your show, it like happens the next day. But we we only take on two new cities a year, and we're actually going back to New Jersey. New Jersey has a vibrant program, mm -hmm. and uh, the, there's a Miracle Project New England, which again they the same results that we get in Los Angeles, people are getting all over the country, and that's thrilling. And our classes here, we have classes in the Valley, the, the HELP group. We have classes at the HELP group. We're starting an adult program in the HELP group. And we do have some spaces open in our classes there. Um, Culver City, West LA, Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, and uh, and in the Valley. So we're, we're thrilled to be able to offer this work to as many uh, individuals that are requesting. Well, it's amazing work, and I want to start by saying if you are someplace where you're, you don't have this and you're thinking, well, why do they have all this in L.A.? I know it feels like that all the time. Step up to the plate. Please contact Elaine and tell her that you want the Miracle Project to come to where you are. Other cities have done that and made that happen. It's possible to make that happen. And as she said, they go to two cities every year. And if you can't be one of the cities this year, then get on the list for next year. It's worth it. So, Elaine, where do they reach out to you? What's the best way to get in contact with you? The best way to get in contact, our website is themiracleproject.org. And you can contact me personally uh, at elaine at themiracleproject.org. There you go. And uh, if you are someplace where the Miracle Project has a program, I want to encourage you to get involved and at the very least go see a performance because it's life changing. It's absolutely life changing. You know, I think so many of the, the negative stereotypes and the stigmas that are attached to autism could just easily be wiped away if people were able to see a Miracle Project performance because you really have the spectrum 
uh, in your performances. And it is inclusive. There are neurotypical folks right side by side with folks that are on the autism spectrum. It is sometimes very difficult to tell who is who. Other times it is more pronounced. But even when that is the case, there are, there are moments when the lid gets blown off of everything. The first performance that I ever saw, there was a moment uh, of, the, of the Miracle Project, there was a moment where there was a person who was on stage who was nonverbal um, and in a wheelchair, I believe, and the, a, a poem that they had written was projected on the screen as the computer spoke the words. And I don't think there was a single person in the audience that wasn't moved so much that we all couldn't talk about it in this moment now. Like it was one of those moments that just solidifies things for you and you go, I don't know anything about anything, um, but I wanna know more because if this beautiful, be if this beautiful poem came out of this person, I need to work harder to be able to communicate with them. I think is what I, certainly what I was feeling and I think it's what everybody else in the room was feeling. It was like, gosh, we're missing out. Uh, big time. And there's always some kind of a moment like that. In in the most recent show that you did, there was some humor that leveled me, Elaine, leveled yeah. me. Um, just brilliant, brilliant. Um, you do amazing work. And I'm so glad that it's, that you, people have always recognized your work, but I'm, I'm glad that it's getting to more people and in more ways. Anything else that you want to tell us about before we have to leave? Thank you so much. Well, actually, this is just starting up and will be available in January, so I, I'll come back on and tell more once we have it solidified. But two of our plays have now been licensed uh, by um, Broadway Licensing and will be available for, for other schools to, to produce. How wonderful. Which two plays? One of them is The Intimidation Game, Lovely. which is the anti-bullying play, which I believe you saw as yes, well. And the other is, is a, a play called Heroes Like Me, and it's about, um, uh, it, it's, it's a, a beginning level play that can be per performed by any group with and without disabilities. So I'll tell you more about that when we have that. I'll come back on. Yes. <laughs> and I'll get my Skype working. And, uh, but, um. Meanwhile, our, our classes are, you know, going strong, and we do, we, we're full in a number of the classes, but we do still have openings in our Culver City and uh, our um, professional level and our Valley classes. So we do have a couple openings, so, you know, local people contact us, and people across the country, we, we want to reach you in any way that we can, through our plays, through our uh, videos, through uh, emails. We, we do consulting, and uh, thank you, Shannon, so much for everything you do and for really getting who we are and what we're about. It's You just are such an important piece of our community, um, Elaine, and, and what you're doing is so vital and is so important. Uh, it's really, it's completely incumbent upon all of us to support the work that you do because it is brilliant. And, it, and it, makes, it opens doors on so many different levels. I am one of those people that believes that theater is the answer to almost everything. And so, right there with you. Right yeah, there right, with you. You know, 
I mean, we can argue about a whole bunch of things, but the fact of the matter is, is that when you can put people in an audience and have them moved, um, things happen. So you do that all the time, and we want to thank you for taking the time for being with us today, and, and we'll look forward to having you on the show again soon. Wonderful. Looking forward. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank Anna. you so much, Elaine Hall from The Miracle Project. Bye-bye. And again, you guys, it's themiracleproject.org if you want to find out more information. If you want to reach out to Elaine specifically, you can reach out to Elaine at themiracleproject.org and let her know you want for them to come to your local town and they'll, they'll come with artists and um, do workshops and get you set up so that you can continue the Miracle Project where you are. It's a really remarkable thing. We're gonna take a break and then we're gonna come back. Yes, we have one more guest and we're gonna see if we can get her on Skype. Uh, Wendy Dawson from Social Motion is gonna be with us, so stick with us. the month of September, I figured I'd show you guys how to make a task completion chart to help your kids get through the hardest parts of the day. Parents have been writing into our host, Shannon Penroth, the hardest parts of the day are waking up in the morning, after school, and getting ready for bed. Please keep in mind you can always modify the task completion chart to focus on the skills that your family needs most. The template we'll be using today to make the task completion chart you can find at facebook.com slash autism live. Alright, let's get to it. The materials you'll be needing are the template, cardstock, scissors, hole puncher, glue, pipe cleaner, velcro, and photos or images. We find it more reinforcing for kids if you use images of themselves doing the tasks that you're trying to get them to complete. So what I have here to start off are photos of myself doing all the tasks that we're going to add to our task completion chart today. The first step you're going to be doing is printing the template from facebook.com slash autismlive. I have it here and the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to trim at the top. We don't need that, that's just totally excess. Now that I trim my three templates, I'm going to label each one with a different part of the day that we're focusing on, such as waking up, after school, and getting ready for bed. Now that I've finished labeling the templates with the appropriate time of the day, I'm going to attach the photos that go with it. For bedtime, the tasks I chose were getting ready for school, putting away toys, putting on pajamas, and brushing teeth. Now repeat this for all the rest of the day. Now that I've added the photos to the template, I am taking this along with my heavy cardstock to hold all my tokens. I'm going to line them up and make three hole punches. I'm going to take this pipe cleaner and attach the pages together with it. We're almost done putting this together. Next, I'm going to take my Velcro. I'm going to put them underneath each picture and then I'm gonna add four on the very edge too. Now that I've attached the rough side of the Velcro to the template, now I'm gonna take the softer side and add these to the tokens. You can use whatever you want for the tokens, whatever your child finds reinforcing. They could be stickers, images, spacemen, Pokemon, whatever they like. Before you use your task completion chart, it's really important that you do a preference assessment to see what your child finds reinforcing that day. Once you have that established, then you can tell them the rule for how this task completion chart works. So every time they get one of their tasks completed, they add a token to it. 
And the way the task completion chart functions is like a token economy. So after they put a token under each one of these tasks, they can trade it in for the reinforcer for the day. Now that you've made your task completion chart, hopefully your child will be able to use it on a daily basis and help them through those difficult times of the day. Well, until next time, craft on. Bye guys. Can you see me flying by your side? Parent to parent, you might be asking yourself sometimes, why does my child have meltdowns? Well, the difference between tantrums and meltdowns, tantrums, they're a part of typical development, but meltdowns are when things get a little bit more out of control, when even the child isn't sure what's entirely wrong. Generally with a meltdown, there's an environmental component. There's something else going on outside the child that's making the tantrum worse. It's really important that we start to be detectives and take notes and look around at the environment and start to figure out what are the things that happen every time your child has a meltdown. And lastly, it's important to get help. You really can't face these kinds of things effectively completely on your own. Tantrums, they're a part of typical development, but don't accept meltdowns as something that just happens. Make sure you get help and support. You might be asking yourself if your child has autism. Uh, we've had the cavalcade of guests, and you know we we're not leaving you short because we've got another fabulous guest. Wendy Dawson is joining us from Houston, Texas, and from Social Motion. Wendy, there you are. You look fabulous. Uh, so thrilled that you're here. Thank we've, you, Shannon. We've had so many Skype problems today, so it's so exciting that I can see you and hear you. Woohoo! Gabe's been killing it here. Uh, <laughs> so, Wendy, um, talk to us a little bit about Social Motion, what it is, and how it started. So, as many of your participants and many of your your community and the families that you talk to, I too am a mom. I'm a stepmom, actually, out of respect for uh, my son's mom. And he was diagnosed too, with autism. And at that point in our lives, we didn't really know what that meant. So like most moms, you figure this out as you go. And we started trying to find programs in Houston that would meet our needs and provide the services that we were looking for. And in a city the size of Houston, we couldn't find what we were looking for. And I thought that was just absolutely, um, you know, problematic and realistic. And so long story short is it's Mama Bear Move Business. It's just what you were, were talking about, um, Shane. And basically we formed Social Motion in 2010. And we are a supplement and a complement to the schools, the academic programs, and the therapy programs here in town. And so really our niche is working with children on social skills to provide them social skills and rich training. We have a transition to work program here at Social Motion. Okay, and now are you getting a little bit of an echo? Or are you okay? Yes. You are getting a, a little bit of an echo, I thought so. Because I'm getting just a little bit of an echo too. Do, do we want to take a pause, Gabriel, and see if we can get her on the phone so that we make sure that we get the, the sound really right? Because you're saying good things, and I'm getting the gist of it, but I want our audience at home to do that. Let's take a short, short, short break, and let's see if we can't clean up our sound a little bit, because this is too important to let go. Stick with us. 
Tara Kaczynski, the Pocket Occupational Therapist, and we're here in Dallas, Texas at the Future Horizons Autism Super Conference. So the book is the Special Needs School Survival Guide, and it's everything you wanted to know about school. It is, okay, so it starts out with just di different diagnoses that you might see, and then um, I explain them in clear terms, no technical jargon, and then each little diagnosis area has about, I don't know, 50 to 100 activities that you can do at home or at school or cheaply and effectively. So it's just full of information that you can use right now. And the cool thing about it is at the end of every chapter are resources that you can use and access in the internet, from your computer, and it's, um, it's not just for kids with any diagnosis either. It's for kids that are just having trouble with handwriting or with dressing in school or transitions too. Well, both of my kids are on the autism spectrum, so it's important to me that when I learn something for other people, you know, as I research it for occupational therapy, I want to try it at home. So then I take what works and I put it in a book, and what doesn't work gets thrown out the window. Uh, and the other thing is I've just started to research for webinars because our kids, as you know, if our kids are aging, so they start out these cute little babies with autism and now they're getting to be teenagers and young adults and we need help with modifying the environment for them, transition planning, and especially for IEP goal writing for functional things that they can work on, not just handwriting, but then going beyond into the transition to young adulthood. Yeah, the misnomer at this point in the school systems is that we just do handwriting. So that's, we are actually not handwriting teachers. We can modify or help rectify a grip that's inefficient. So if a child doesn't have that nice, pretty little tripod grasp, we can help to get that. However, when it, the kid's in second or third grade, then we look at efficiency. So if the grasp is, is efficient, if it's a quadrupod grasp, or if it's some kind of funky grasp, and the child can write efficiently, then we leave it alone. But if not, then we go to um, electronic accommodations. So OTs then can look at keyboarding and what kinds of keyboards would fit the student best. Also sensory processing, as the kids get older, it looks different. So we can look at sensory processing as it relates to function in the school. And then we also can look at behavior and transition planning. Um, other things we can do is work on seating. So if a child's having trouble sitting still in the classroom, we can modify that too. So that we've solved out our, our issues. So Wendy Dawson is here with us from Social Motion. And when we were last, I'm, I want you to recap just a little bit because I was asking you, how did Social Motion come to be? And I want to make sure they heard your answer, Wendy. So like so many moms who are watching right now, um, I'm a mom, I'm actually a stepmom of a young man with autism. And um, he's in his 20 now. And when he was diagnosed, there were no services for him. So it was really, he was about 12 years old, and 
And I was looking for social skills for him because he was making it academically, you know, like many of the moms, we had done all the PT and the OT and the speech therapies. But what he really needed at that point in time was the ability to make social friends, to be able to interact with the community, to start making these friendship bonds that we knew were going to be so important for his life in the future. And when I couldn't find them in Houston, in a city the size of Houston, I said, something's really wrong. And so we set about creating it. So social motion was formed in 2010 um, for my family and so many families like us raising wonderful children on the autism spectrum who need more resources. Love it, love it, love it. And you came to our attention, and I do want to say, you'll appreciate this later when you watch it back, there's a little bit of a lag between what you're saying and the, because the, the, we're taking feed from two different places. So it does look a little bit like a dubbed Japanese uh, film when you're talking, and you know, it is what it is. Uh, we were just talking before, Wendy and I, about how as autism moms, you know, it's always, well, if plan A doesn't work, we'll move on to plan B and we'll make it work for plan C. So there it is. But uh, I, what I started to say, Wendy, you came to my attention because uh, somebody came to me and said, there's this amazing program that's happening in Houston where they've got these artisans that are making uh, different items and selling them and they're on the autism spectrum. So tell us about how this program came to be and, and a little bit about why people should be excited about this. Absolutely. So the program you're referencing is called AspireAccessories.com and anybody can look it up right now on the website and you're going to be amazed. So let me back up a little bit if I can. If you guys hit our website, you're going to see what we call our timeline graphic. And this is important because our program was founded on the basis that you we don't really want to focus on one time in the individual's life. This really is a lifespan of services that we've created. So we work with families all the way from diagnosis all the way to young adulthood, starting out and really helping parents learn from the fact that I have a child on the spectrum and my partner, Denise Hazen, who created Aspire Accessories, also has a has a son on the spectrum. So this transitional trust, this this knowledge of we've been there, we've walked in these shoes, and um, we're kind of like to be the pioneers because there really just was a void of services when we were coming into this. And so our whole goal is to bring this to the community. So um, being a window to the world for newly diagnosed parents, helping them understand your world has changed, um, things are going to be different than what you thought, but that's okay because there's so much future out there and there's even more services now. So everything you were saying earlier about early childhood intervention and get those get those therapies and and get the early building blocks that they need so then we come in with social skills and elementary level tween level teen level working with local teen volunteers from our schools but we can't stop there because we know there's a services cliff after the age of 16 17 18 when these kids are really out of high school so we said what can we do and my son was able to continue his schooling. That's what he wanted to do. Um, Denise's son um, is an amazing artisan. And so she created her company around his skills. And so what started as a mom and son endeavor making leather bracelets has blossomed into um, almost a 3,000 square foot micro enterprise program of social motion where we employ 19 young adults on the spectrum and they either fully make, embellish, or assemble a multitude of 
beautiful trendy jewelry products in fact this is one of them right now if you can see um as well as home good items and it's more than making the jewelry even it's really about us desiring to bring um, resource to the community that offers purpose value and a sense of community for these young adults while they are being paid while they are earning wages and while they are on their continuing path to success and independence and anybody who doesn't think that that's important is missing it because i know people who have kiddos that are three and they go i'm not there yet but what you and i know it goes fast and, and your kid is going to be there where they're looking for a job and looking for a way, you're going to be looking for a way to have them be a part of society and have that self-esteem. And that comes Absolutely. with a J-O-B. Uh, so I, I love what you're doing so much that when we were doing our Autism Live Toy and Gift Guide this year, we saw some of the work of your artisans. We particularly loved your earrings, and so we included them in the gift guide. But I gotta be honest that we, what we want is for people, when you go on the gift guide and you see the earrings, if you click the link, it will take you to their website where you can see all the different things that they offer because there's somebody on your holiday gift giving list that needs to have something from this wonderful program. Beautiful, beautiful gifts that you can be proud to give to somebody and at the same time know that you're helping to keep this organization moving forward and that you're keeping an individual uh, with different abilities employed, which I think is remarkable. Uh, Our I just favorite think saying is your purchase provides purpose uh, because every it. purchase that you make is enabling these young adults to fulfill their talents and be able to bring their creativity to the workshop. And they are fantastic workers. As we all know, when you get them in their element and you give them the supports that they need, they are just, they're loyal, they love their jobs, and it brings so much joy to our hearts when we can use the products that they've made really to spread our mission and message of awareness and advocacy in the communities. And I also want to say too that the last time you and I spoke we, we had a conversation on the phone and and anytime somebody has a great idea, I'm sorry, but one of the things I say is, you know, how can we spread this everywhere? How can social motion and this Aspire program go everywhere? And you had some great ideas. And so I just want to put it out there that there, if there's a, a parent or an organization that's out there that's like, oh, I love this, I want this where we are, definitely they should contact you, Wendy, to see how you can partner together. And that you had some ideas for ways that people could start uh, doing something pretty immediately. So I don't want to give any of that away unless you want to, but I, I want to encourage people to reach out. Where should they go to con connect with you and find out more? So we have an info line set up. It's info, I-N-F-O, at socialmotionskills.org. And I think you can see behind me, socialmotionskills, that is plural, .org. Please feel free to email us with any question that you have, and we will route it internally. And I'll be happy to kind of give just a quick answer to what you sure. were alluding to, Shannon. So we have two programs going on right now, and um, kind of following in the line of what CARD does is making trainings available online, is we are absolutely moving towards that in the new year, is bringing what we call virtual motion to reality. So anybody looking for social skills, parent training, teacher training, um, the competence it 
processes that we've developed will be available online very shortly. And AspireAccessories.com is actually working on a wholesale kit, for lack of a better word. So if there's an agency, if there's a group of moms, if there's a homeschool out there, if there's just a mom that knows that their child has the ability to kind of make products and be self-employed and if this is the way that we can further support parents who live in rural areas where there's a lack of services or in a place where um you know there's not moms like us doing all of this then basically we want to be able to um share teach and serve these communities that's really our mantra so contact us it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. But even more importantly, thank you for all the great work that you guys are doing in Houston. And and for families that are in Houston that maybe didn't know about you but are watching the show, how do they how do they connect so that their kiddos can take part? Yeah, same same way. Info at socialmotionskills.org. Mm -hmm. That'll get routed to everybody, no matter what age you are. Again, eight to twenty-eight. That's kind of our wheelhouse, but you know. Call us and we will help you the best we can. And if we don't have the answers, like like you always say, Shannon, you know, we will absolutely try to get you to the right person. There you, you go. Put us to work. Put us all to work. We're happy to work. Wendy, thank you so much for everything that you're thank doing. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, Jam-packed day, so many guests, uh, what a wonderful day this has been. We've gone a little bit over. We started a little bit late, so it's only fair that we go a little bit over. Uh, I just wanted to say that we are back next week for shows on Wednesday and Thursday. And then, of course, the week after, we will be off the whole week for the Thanksgiving holidays. But we are in full swing with our toy guide next week. Um, definitely check it out. You can go to it by visiting http colon backslash backslash beta b-e-t-a dot autism hyphen live dot com check out our new website give us feedback on it and uh, definitely click on the little icon at the top of the page that says toy guide take a tour around because we're going to be featuring some of those toys coming up in the next couple of weeks demoing them it's my favorite time of the year when we get to talk toys uh, toys and gifts really so uh, all of that's happening next week until then give your kid a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.